You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome to the first edition of Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. I am Diamond Dante alongside Mr. Mike Nellis. How are you holding up? Not bad. Excited to talk baseball for the next little while here, Dante, and... Uh... Yeah, no, it'll be a it'll be a fun show. I'm pretty sure that things will kind of ramp up as the summer goes on, but yes. uh, we're definitely uh, ready to start things up right now in the uh, the dead of winter here in Ottawa. Yeah, and before we get into things, uh, I'm gonna tee up the show for you. Uh, we're gonna have tons of interviews. The Ottawa Champions uh, manager Hal Lanier, uh, another one with Sebastian Boucher, who was a former draft pick of Seattle Mariners, played for uh, Team Canada at the first ever. Uh, World Baseball Classic, and uh, is now the center fielder for the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club. And then we're going to have some inside uh, Blue Jay stuff with Bluebird Banters, Tom Dakers. So I'm pretty excited for this show. It's going to be a good one. And I think it's good to get that local flavor as well as, you know, mixing in some Blue Jays talk because, of course, the Blue Jays are the craze of yes. the baseball world here in Ottawa uh, right now and across the entire nation. So uh, we'll see you know, what eventually comes of the Toronto Blue Jays next year. I think we're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit, Dante. But uh, yeah, this is going to be a good show. And I'm uh, excited to see what Tom has to say, as well as Seven Howe, of course. Um, Absolutely. Hearing back from them again. Yeah, it's going to be uh, lots of fun. I'm sure uh, down the road, we're going to have uh, those two n- uh, gentlemen on the show uh, more and more as the season goes on. Yeah. Uh, maybe some interviews. Uh, about their play, how the season's shaping up, possible trades and signing. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, we got some inside expertise on a couple, maybe key signings that the champions might be getting, and uh, but we'll get to that uh, later. Yeah, you don't want to spoil anything. No, I don't want to spoil <laughs> anything, but we will get to that later. And uh, to start off, through the next couple weeks of spring training and going into the MLB season, uh, Mike and I are going to break down pretty much every division in baseball. And to start off, we're going to go with none other than the AL East. Now, Mike, you gave me a nice list of how you think the AL East is going to shape up. Why don't you start off with your list here? Okay, sure. We'll get right into it, Dante. And uh, yeah, I know I've, I've got the Blue Jays winning the AL East okay. this year. I know that you uh, you disagree, so we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, I think it's going to be another um, another good year for the Toronto Blue Jays, not necessarily of the uh, the caliber of last year, just because of you know the sheer shock of, of having a Blue Jays team that finally was able to qualify for the postseason. So um, I think that'll be uh, th- that'll be able to hold up. Boston, I've got finishing second. It's going to be the, the yeah. Red Sox and the Blue Jays going toe-to-toe until the I end of so. the year. It's not going to be what happened with the Blue Jays this year where they pull away at the end of the season and, and win the division uh, with authority. Um, it's going to be a battle right to the end, and I think the Red Sox could easily take it just given the signings that they have put up, including a former Toronto Blue Jay. We'll get to that in a second. I've got New York in third, Baltimore fourth, and Tampa Bay rounding Ooh. out the AL East. Well, um, what do you think of that? Well, Mike, you know what? It's definitely a good list. A lot of people, I'm actually picking the Red Sox to the win the division, mm-hmm. and I think the Blue Jays are going to get the wild card spot. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Orioles getting third. They they added a key pitcher, at, or actually last week, in Giovanni Gallardo. He could possibly be their ace, Yeah, as Chris Tilvin has kind of falling off the charts a little bit. And, and I think they needed that. It, it, you know, pitchers, it's, it's it's such a, I guess it's such a fluctuating position. And, and what I mean by that is somebody can be good one year and then have an off year the next. And, 
And, you know, in the offseason, you got to look at signing somebody when that wasn't really part of the plan coming into whatever kind of build that you wanted to put your team yeah. through. So I think that's the case here with the Orioles. They do sign Gallardo. Jays fans will be familiar oh, with absolutely. Giovanni Gallardo yeah. in the playoffs and specifically in that first round against the Texas Rangers. Number four I, on my list, I think the New York Yankees are going to be four. Their pitching is a little is questionable going into the season. Tanaka is going to be injured uh, for about ha- half of the season. You got guys like Luis Severino, who is only 22 years old, and he, I think he'll be good, but not enough to get them in. Will Michael Pineda be consistent and s- stay off their injured reserve list? Will CC Sabathia? Will we see the same CC Sabathia that we saw about five years ago? It's the pitching that's that's concerning for the New York Yankees. Um, and I think when you when you pull up their their projected lineup or at least their go to starting lineup, um, it, it looks pretty solid. And you know, you've, of course, you've got Beltron in, in the three hole right now, or at least you would expect to see that this year. Well, he's a switch um, hitter. That's and, the reason, right? And, and 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 exactly that's it. He's 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 getting up there in age, but that really hasn't seemed to to have much of an effect on the way that he's played baseball recently. So, um, you, you know, 38 to 39, is that going to, you know, provide for, for much of a change? No, I, I think, think he'll so. be in and out of the lineup. Yeah. They added two excellent Cubans uh, in the offseason, one of them being Starling Castro and the other one being fireball pitcher Aroldis Chapman. Do you expect it? I know that he's having a, some legal troubles, but if he's, if he's there opening day or even after the first month in May, how do you think he'll play? But yeah, no, it, it it is a similar situation to what you saw with the uh, the Kansas City Royals last year. The question I think a lot of people have with these guys um, is expectations. Yeah, and and you know, of course, Chapman is expected to come in and 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 be the guy, or at least one of the guys in New York. There's going to be some extra baggage there, I think, with Chapman, and and not not concerning everything that's going on off the field. Wow. Just concern, and and you know that could, but just coming into that situation and expecting to be the guy, it'll be interesting to see how he responds well, to it. Got, and I'm they got three guys that you know, could be the guy. It's these fifty safe closers on any other team. They're all in that that prime age right now. Yeah, from twenty seven to thirty. This is the problem. You, you like having those three options, but at the same time, you don't really want to waste them. You don't want to waste them, but it does still matter. But it, but it does still matter to have those guys in those positions. And I guess being able to 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 put them into any situation. Chapman, yeah, I, he's the go-to guy. I think so. It'll be interesting to see with everything else going on if he's able to, to you know. You know what's weird? Chapman throws about 103 miles an hour. He has pretty much one pitch. We're, I guess we're going to move on to the Tampa Bay sure. Rays. Uh, they lost since losing Joe Madden. They haven't been able to make a, a playoff appearance uh, under Kevin Cash. What do you expect from Tampa Bay? Both of us have them slotted as uh, finishing last in the AL East. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much where they are. Um, you know, obviously they've got the uh, the regulars. There, there's just not enough depth. And if you look at the bottom of the order, there's a lot of questions there. You know, I, we were talking about it off air before we came on. Uh, Dante, Kurt Casale's their their catcher, or at least he's slotted to be their catcher right now. Um, there, there's well, know. I mean, Kurt Casale's slotted to be their catcher, but to be honest, I think Hank Conger would be a, a better catcher. He calls a good game. Yeah, and uh, I'm, th- we're just looking at yeah. what we're what we're you know yeah, expecting just, to if, see right now, and, yeah. and that definitely could happen. We could see Conger eventually uh, slide into that role and uh, switch hitter too. Yeah, Conger did an excellent job with Houston being the backup, giving uh, 
uh, Castro a job to kind of get off his feet yeah. as he's the starting catcher with Houston. But I think it's a really good addition for Tampa Bay. Do I think they can make a more of a push? No. I know they finished fourth last year, but I don't think they're going to play as well this year, just how much better Boston got. But you look at Boston here, and they signed some pretty good prospects. A lot of people think that they're going to win the division. What do you think uh, Boston will do this year? Um, I, you know what? I, I, like I said, I think they'll be in a dogfight for the top with the uh, the Blue Jays. Look, they, they've made a lot of additions uh, this year, and they're looking real good. They're going to oh, push yeah. the Toronto Blue Jays right to the end. David Price, um, probably the biggest signing of the offseason so far. Crimble. And, and Crimble's the other one, too. Who's... Which, a lot of people say he will pass Mariano Rivera's record for saves. Mm-hmm. He's on that path right now. He's still a young pitcher in this league. He's only 26 years old. And so far, this is what Boston's rotation looks like. David Price followed by Clay Buckles, Rick Porcello, uh, a prospect in Eduardo Rodriguez, and a questionable pitcher in Joe Kelly. So uh, probably the best rotation in the AL East, in my opinion. As, as, um, as a rotation as a whole. I think so, yeah. yes. And Rick Porcello could be good this year. Buckles is if he I think if Buckles has an ERA under 350 that would be great. You can expect a bit of a bounce back year for Buckles. He's he's gonna learn from David Price and Aye. and you know they're 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 both guys that been around. They've been in playoff situations. David Price not necessarily uh, been considered the best pressure performer, but I do think that Buckles can learn a lot from him. Yes, and uh, we'll see if the the Red Sox can as well. Um, yeah, and th- they they they've really started to to develop some some good players like Bogars and Betts into yeah. guys that I think we've got to look at as as impact players now. Yeah, and a young catcher coming up is Blake Schweihart, who was the number one ranked catcher and the number one ranked prospect in the Red Sox organization. Uh, I was watching MLB Network the other day, and uh, Bill James, who is on uh, for the Boston Red Sox, and, right. he had, and he wrote a book. Uh, he was he pretty much made the Moneyball theory, mm-hmm. as we all know from the, that big uh, that big movie with Brad Pitt. But uh, he actually said Bill James says that Blake Schweihart could be a top ten catcher in this league. Which is a big endorsement. Yes. And we'll see uh, eventually if it does turn out he to be He could be biased, way. but from what, what we've seen. he, You know what? Again, like you said, from what we've seen, he very well could be. You know, first round pick. He um, he was drafted. Actually, it's funny. Him and Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, were drafted uh, in the same round in the same year. A, a lot and of people don't like Jackie Bradley because of his hitting but mm-hmm. he's an excellent defender I think if he plays a full season a gold glove for sure yeah and uh he's been he, he's been heralded for his fielding you know what he's he's hitting in that nine slot like you said he's not a good bat he really isn't no um but that's he's not why fast. You, that's not why you have him in your order he's fast and he's a good fielder he's playing center field for a reason yeah and another big question going into spring training for the Red Sox is Hanley Ramirez John Farrell came out and said that he is going to start at first base. Ramirez didn't like it. He said he would like to go back to either third or left field. Switching things up. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think I think John Farrell hasn't been one to shy away from uh, from from switching things up like that. He, yeah. He moved Bautista from third to right. He did the whole bunch. Yeah. And uh, you, you know what? I I don't know if this is going to work. It's it's a little bit different when you've got. Um, when you've got a star like Hanley Ramirez and you're putting him into a new situation, he might not necessarily like that very much. Yeah. Um, 
We'll see what. Uh, He's an athletic guy. He is, and, and former shortstop. Yeah, you wouldn't expect to see him at um, at, at first base of of all people in that yeah. lineup. I, I I gotta tell you, it's it's really interesting going putting someone like that at first base. You know the theories behind you you put the worst fielder at first base. <laughs> you remember that one game last year when David Ortiz um had <laughs> had to play first base and everyone was kind of like, oh my god, he's in the field, like what, right? And and it goes to show you that y- you still do need to have some kind of athletic ability to play the position. But yeah, um, and 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 I think Ramirez would make a good first baseman, but it's not. A question of that it's a question of is his ability being used in the right way yeah and uh i just want to go quickly with the blue jays because of course sure. we're going to have tom dakers from blue jays banter on later in the show uh to talk about the jays as that's going to be a special segment just about the blue jays yeah but um one thing that we did see sticking with first base and defense and playing defense at first is that justin smoke was a key addition to blue jay squad last year defensively and he could swing the bat a little bit what do you expect from him going into this season? And do you think, like you said, first base is more of a defensive position now? It is. And it, uh, you really, if you can't have a guy that can pick it, then I don't think you can win a game. And and that's the question with Chris Colabello um, is his fielding. And, you know, he's currently slated to be that starting first baseman. But we all know that. You know, the Blue Jays like to to fool around with that Smoke-Colabello combination. Yeah, and and what we saw last year is Colabello would start, and once sixth inning pass, Smoke would come in and play first, right? And it makes sense, right? It it, it does. It it makes a lot of sense. And and I think you could expect to see that to continue given the – current situation with Colabello and Smoke and first you know now we've got um, him and Smoke battling it out so it just goes to show you that you never really know um, what's going to happen in these types of situations and uh, before we wrap this up uh, the Orioles they could be up and down their pitching is almost like the Jays a little bit questionable what do you see Baltimore doing this year especially with having uh, one of the best catchers in the league behind the plate in Matt Wheelers I, I could see the uh, the Orioles slotting in around third or fourth in the division um, maybe pushing if they have a good year. If things manage to to pan out, I they got see Crush them. Davis. They do, and if 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 these guys have on years, you yeah. know they're and and they're playing well. I think you you could expect to see the Orioles up there with the Jays and the Red Sox, but that's going to need to to work for them. We'll see if that eventually does happen. Right now, I've got them finishing fourth. Baltimore acquired from uh, looks like Japan. They. Got a guy in Hung So Kim. This could be a real good player for Baltimore. But yeah, no, he's 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 a good player, and he's one of these guys that that hones their game in in Japan, and and then eventually comes here over once their uh, their prime. He's Korean, is uh, Kim, and um, oh, Korean, right? Sorry. Yeah, Korean, you know, Japanese. More and more of these guys are going to come over um, as we understand that that some of the best ball players in the world are developed. Uh, in that league. It's almost like a feeder league for the majors now. Yeah, and that pretty much wraps out the AL East. I think, you know, the Jays in Boston are going to be fighting all season, and uh, it's going to be a real tough one, so obviously stay tuned. But coming up next, we're going to have a special feature interview with Sebastian Boucher, who is who was a former MLB draft pick of the Seattle Mariners and ended up making an appearance at the WBC in 2006 for Team Canada. That's all here on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Stay tuned for an exclusive interview with former Canadian minor league top prospect Sebastian Boucher.
Good evening. I am now joined on the phone with Sebastian Boucher, who is the current hitting coach and outfielder for the Ottawa Champions and a former MLB draft pick of the Seattle Mariners. Now, how are you doing today? Oh, good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Um, I just want to start things off right off right out of the gate. What was it like being drafted, and what was your reaction? Where were you? Uh, I was in. I was at home. Well, I was in at home in Florida. Uh, I was in college. We had just finished our season. It was an interesting day. It was an exciting day, but also a very, uh, very emotional day because I knew I was going to drop in the slots because of the visa issues that year. Yeah. So that morning, I kept getting phone calls from pretty much 20 or so uh, MLB teams asking me if I had a work visa. So it was a tough one, but my uh, my college coach at the time knew the situation and kind of called me in the office to keep me calm and stuff like that. Uh, something that I want to ask you, coming into the league, being drafted, was there anyone that you really looked up to and that you tried to model yourself off after? Yeah, I mean, I, I had been compared to Kenny Lofton a lot yeah. in my college years. And I kind of took a shine to to his, the end of his career a little bit, trying to get a feel of what kind of player he was to try to figure myself out as well. So uh, Kenny Lofton in my college career, but Ken Griffey Jr. was my you know my what idol as a kid. Yeah, that's uh, that's something to talk about there. I was thinking about that last night. I was either gonna say either Ken Griffey or uh, Juan Pierre, but Pierre was a fast yeah, Juan guy. Juan Pierre, I got to like play against a few times. So, but Ken Griffey was definitely my idol and stuff. Obviously, coming into the league, uh, was there anyone that helped you along the way, uh, in particular, uh, players, people? I mean, I had quite a few, uh, but my coaches were always the, the best help for me. I, had, I took a shine to Terry Polreese, who was a AAA coach uh, with the Mariners that kind of gave me a, a nice little uh, window of teaching me a little bit how to go. Uh, as far as players, I always took a shine to older players. Uh, Canadian guy, Adam Stern, kind of helped yeah. me out when I got to play with him. And uh, another thing, you coming off a very good season uh, in the minors, you got called into the World Baseball Classic. What was it like getting the call? Getting the call was it was very uh, it was like a great honor, really. Yeah, uh, I was like a last last roster addition. Okay, which kind of made me very happy because hey, I got to participate in, in quite a, an incredible event and. It was the first one ever done, and uh, it was very special for me. Yeah, it was the first one ever done, and you got to tell me about what was it like even sitting on the bench uh, pregame, looking across the field, seeing like, Ken Griffey Jr., Roger Clemens, uh, you know. Well, it was actually it was really surreal. Uh, I mean, I uh, we were trading it before the, the anthems, and like we traded hats and stuff like that, and I got to trade with Ken Griffey Sr. Wow. Which, uh, and he kind of like gave me a little jab. He was like, Good luck today, but you're gonna lose. You know, it was really, really like a fun, uh, a fun way to, to deal with it. And I got to meet some of the players after. I got to meet Johnny Damon the day before, and wow. and stuff like that. So it was kind of, it was very uh, surreal experience. Yeah, and uh, another thing to point out, you uh, you played along with multiple Canadians. A uh, couple notable ones being Adam Stern, Michael Saunders uh, with the Mariners organization. Uh, what was it like in the locker room with having a couple guys from the same country as you? Is it any different, or do you guys kind of stick together like the Latin players do? Uh, yeah, well, we the first time I really got to play on affiliate team uh, with a fellow Canadian was with the Orioles when I got traded, okay. and we were there was two of us. There was me. Well, there were three of us. There was me, Adam Stern, and uh, Steve Green, which made it really, really interesting because I didn't expect it when I got traded to have two guys, 
two familiar faces with me to kind of guide me through, which was really fun. <laughs> you manned the outfield with a guy like Adam Jones. What was that like? Well, yeah, he was he was he was learning at the time, but he was always freaking. He was always really good, very dynamic player, and uh, I got to learn a lot from him. I hope he got to learn some stuff from me at the same time, and uh, it was uh, it was quite it was quite a good outfield, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean Adam Jones probably one of the top five center fielders in the game right now, and it must have been really nice to play with him. And who was the the best pitcher you ever faced? The best pitcher I've ever faced. That's tough. There's quite a few of them. Uh, as far as uh, career numbers, I would say Roger Clemens. Okay. I mean, I faced Roger Clemens in Double A when he was doing his comeback with Houston. Oh, okay. And uh, he ended up playing, pitching five inning and striking out eleven. So uh, he was on his game that day. <laughs> so I, would, I would give him that credit that he's uh, the best pitcher I've ever faced. Yeah, and also sticking with the Canadian side of things, uh, what do you see? This is the highest point in Canada, or is uh, in terms of players getting drafted and becoming that powerhouse team? Yeah, definitely. With everything that Canada has been doing lately, uh, the national teams and and uh, what they're doing with the youth programs, I think it's it's coming along very nicely. I mean, they've come out and won the, the Pan Am Games and the World Cup, and doing very good showing at the international stage as well. So. Uh, I think baseball is coming up in Canada and it's going to do, it's going to get even better. Yeah, it's really a nice thing. You know, I, I love the Canadian side of things. Uh, another thing that I want to note is uh, Eric Bedard. Do you think he could ever join the Can-Am League and maybe the Ottawa champions being from Ottawa? I would definitely hope so. I mean, yeah. I haven't uh, thrown him a line or anything to try to see, to try to entice him to come over, uh, come over. But uh uh, I think the the front office has, and uh, I think he's kind of into the coaching part of it now. Okay. Uh, from what I hear, and uh, you know, if if he could come back, that would definitely be a benefit to us. Oh yeah. Uh, he's he's a tremendous pitcher. I've seen him pitch quite a few times and and work out, and uh, he's he's got some really really good skills. You know, on the Ottawa champion side of things, you're the hitting coach and pretty much an everyday player uh, in the field. What's it like? Uh, we've seen this with Manny Ramirez and the AAA Iowa Cubs. Just tell me about that. It's, it's more like it's, uh, I mean, it's tough to get, get through your whole, your, the grind of the season and have to worry about other players as well. But uh, it's a challenge and it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I kind of see, my, see myself as a mentor now in the league, so I get to guide young players through. Uh, the way older players have done it for me, and uh, giving me the status of a hitting coach is kind of—it's kind of something I try to already do, even if I didn't have the title. Okay, and how about uh, the re-signing of Wilmer Font and Albert Cartwright? Uh, those are those are big additions. I mean, they're they're going to definitely be part of our core. Albert came in late last year and uh, did wonders for us. He really changed the dynamic of our lineup and our defense. And uh, I, we hope to, he does the same thing this year. As for Font, we, he's becoming a pretty much frontline front line starter. I mean, he's going to be our, probably our number one with the loss of Warner. And, uh, you know, he, he's got great tools and he's got, he's got a great work ethic. So uh, we're looking to have him be a leader on, the, on that staff. Yeah, and uh, I know that you, you, you consider yourself as a center fielder pretty much your whole career. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I've, I've played every position, but uh, center field is my primary, 
my par- primary spot. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know uh, pretty much what the difference is. A lot of people think that a center fielder should have the best arm on the team. Uh, what do you think of that? In my opinion, I think it's the right fielder. Uh, but what do you think is the difference between uh, center field and the corner outfields? Well, the center fielder is your anchor, so he pretty much has to cover the gaps. So he's got to have the speed. Uh, that's where you that's where you differentiate for between your your corners and your center fielder. Your center fielder is mainly your fastest guy, and like you said, your your right fielder is mainly the guy with the arm that can that can you know keep the guys at second instead of having him go to third. And uh, your right your left fielder is kind of like the power bat that you that you try to put. He's you can have the same tools, but we we tend to put the the guy with the stronger bat in that area. Yeah, and uh, you know I don't know. A lot of people think that uh, the center field position is more of a defensive position, and they give them that status because of their defense. You know, you look at a guy like Kevin Kiermaier, who's not the you know hit a two sixty last year, but. Won a gold glove, excellent defense. Uh, another guy, you look at Carlos Gomez, uh, his bat fell off the charts. Uh, do you think defense is more important than offense at that position? Oh, definitely, definitely. If, uh, you know, if you can cover, a good, if you have a good center fielder, your, your, your outfield is secure, uh, you know, and you can, you can put your bigger bats in the corners, and then your, your defense, outfield defense will be anchored, it will be secured. And you'll have a decent go at the outfield. Yeah, and also, uh, even with the, the Can-Am League, I, w- I really wanted to touch on this. Uh, you see guys that come into the to this league, like a Daniel Nava or a Chris Colabella for the Jays, and, and come out making the majors because of good performances. Uh, do you think it's becoming more and more popular or a little bit less? Oh, no, it's definitely becoming more popular. I think uh, scouts are starting to pay a lot more attention to, to Can-Am League, Atlantic League, and... American Association players, just because they they develop just as fast and they they're a little bit more hungry, I think, than than the regular minor leaguers. Yeah, and uh, I really appreciate you joining us, uh, Sebastian. It's it was a real pleasure. Oh no problem. Coming up next, Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis will bring you a special interview with World Series champion Hal Lanier. This is Sebastian Boucher, and you're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. Now, joined with us on the phone is former Major League shortstop and the former manager of the Houston Astros, as well as the current manager of the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, Hal Lanier. How are you doing today? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much. Now, i got to ask you, how are things in Florida? The weather's obviously a lot better than <laughs> Ottawa, I guess. Well... It's sunny out, no rain, and it's probably 73, 75 degrees. Oh, today. so it looks like you're having a blast down there. Oh, yes. Uh, we've had some good weather the last uh, couple weeks. Before we get into the champion side of things, I want to give the listeners a little background check on yourself and your career. And to start, you played in the 60s, and I'm sure getting the call to the majors was a little bit different than it is now. How how did everything come apart when you first got signed by the Giants in 1961? Well, in 61, the San Francisco Giants scouted me since the eighth grade. He was a very good friend of, um, of my dad, so he was around all the time. He took us out for dinner, uh, told me when I was a sophomore in high school that the Giants were going to sign me. 
So I signed in 61 and went to, back then, it would probably be low A ball then, but I went to spring training in 1962 and I was assigned as a shortstop and did very well. I had a great arm and any other club that uh, probably would sign me, I was probably going to sign as a pitcher because the three years I was in high school, I was 33 and three. But the Giants wanted me as an infielder, uh, hit pretty good in high school. So they signed me as a shortstop. But in spring training in 1962, Alvin Dark was the manager of the Giants. Regular shortstop, Jose Pagan, at second base. And Alvin came out to me and said, uh, you know, do this, do this at second base. And I turned to double play. And again, I had a very, very strong arm. (laughs) And the following day, when I got to the clubhouse that morning, um, I thought I did something wrong because the clubhouse man said, Alvin Dark wants to see you in his office. So I went in there, and he said that they were going to change positions on me. And politely, I asked why, and he said, well, my shortstop is 25 years old and got some good years ahead of him, and my second baseman, who could not turn to double play, is 28. And in three years, you'll probably be playing second base for the Giants. You know, he was he was the next uh, big league shortstop with the New York Giants and played, you know, with my dad uh, in New York when the Giants were there. Three years, I came up uh, as a second baseman. He was he was right on tune, and you know, I was very fortunate to have uh, him as my first year manager. Hal, Mike Nellis here. Nice to talk. To, nice to uh, talk to you again. One of the guys that you had a chance to play with in the major leagues was Willie Mays, and obviously, he's considered one of the best power hitting center fielders of all time. So. What was it like to play with one of the best like that? Well, I met Willie when I was 10 years old, believe it or not. I used to go to the ballpark all the time, and, of course, Willie just came up as a rookie that particular year. And he used to take all the kids of the of the players out in center field, play catch with us. And then in 1962, you know, uh, again, my first spring training, I came in, and he remembered me. He always called me, my dad's name was Max, and he always called me Maxie. And I walked in the clubhouse, and he said, oh, there's Maxie again. (laughs) And I used to tell him, my name's Hal, but (laughs) you can call me that. Whatever you want to call me, you can call me. But, you know, to play with someone like that for eight years, uh, I played with five Hall of Famers with the Giants. McCovey, McCovey. uh, Marichal, Perry, Cepeda. Oh. And, uh, you know, it was a pleasure just to watch him on an everyday basis. I was fortunate to play with the Giants for eight years before I got traded to the Yankees. Yeah, and how um, your dad also played in the major leagues, Max Lanier, and how did he help you getting the call, and how was he a role model to you? Well, I was very fortunate because I had a dad that played 14 years at the major league level, knew how to play, knew the game inside and out. And I think I probably had it over someone you know, when I was growing up because he could teach me the right way to play. Whereas maybe the next kid next to me didn't have a father with major league experience and they might have been teaching him the wrong way to play. But you know, he was always around when I was uh, in high school, came to all the games, of course. And he also told me that, don't forget, probably will be signed as an infielder. So, you know, back then I worked on my hitting and everything and uh, told me if I ever did not run a ball out that uh, I was going to be in trouble by him. <laughs> so I, I grew up that way, and that's the only way I know, know how, and that's what I preach to my players today because you you just never know who's in the stands watching you. And yeah. It happens in independent baseball and at, at the major league level and the minor league level. You have to hustle all the time. And, yep. you know, fortunate uh, I did that. 
And once you finished your career, you decided to start coaching and you ended up winning a World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I'm sure a lot of listeners and people out there would love to hear how it feels like to win the biggest prize in baseball. What was it like? So I went through the ranks uh, with the Cardinal organization, the minor leagues. I managed five years and then I got an opportunity to to go up in 1981 with the Cardinals at the big league level and have, I think, uh, the best manager in baseball that I've ever been around, and that was Whitey Herzog. But in 82, you know, Whitey put the team together with the idea of the ballpark because Bush Stadium, the old Bush Stadium, was very, very big, and uh, he wanted to have speed and pitching and defense, and certainly we had all that, the likes of, uh, you know, Ozzy Smith at shortstop, McGee, and Vince Coleman, and Tommy Herr, and um, they kept the ball in the ballpark, and you know, we ended up beating the Brewers, of course, in Game 7 and uh, win a world championship. A lot of players never have an opportunity to ever get there. But to have uh, a ring from that is very, very special to me. And uh, you know, no one can ever take that away. And then in 85, the World Series uh, against Kansas City and lost that. But we also got a National League uh, World Series ring. Every club does that. Yeah, Hal, you talked about your National League championship and you know winning manager of the year. Um, as the Astros manager, you're coming up on managing for almost 30 years now. Um, I'm just curious, what brought you into coaching after your playing career? What made you want to continue in baseball, continue as a coach, as a baseball lifer? I went to spring training with the Cardinals uh, in AAA. They were in Tulsa at that particular time in Oklahoma. And I knew the owner real well of the AAA club, and he really took care of me. Uh, and again, in 1975, I came back as a player coach, and I knew probably that was going to be my last year playing-wise. I was getting a little bit older. Kenny went away for some special uh, family reasons and everything, and I managed the club for about two weeks, and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I probably had a headache the first day that I managed because everything's going through your head and you're the only guy on the ball club uh, handling all that. Because back then, you know, you only had the manager. You didn't have a pitching coach. You didn't have a hitting coach like they have now in the minor league. So the manager had to do everything, throw batting practice, manage the game. But I really got into it, and Kenny suggested it, and I was fortunate to be with the Cardinals, and they asked me to manage their uh uh, Florida State League team in St. Petersburg, where I grew up. So I was going back home and uh, managed there, you know, especially uh, learning the game under Whitey Herzog uh, helped me get the managing job in Houston. And now, of course, you're managing here in Ottawa with the champions, which is a much different situation than what you would see in the major leagues. But obviously, in the offseason, you still need to make improvements uh, to your team. You guys have done that, you know, assigning guys like Robert Garza, Kenny Bryant. Hal, I just wanted to switch gears to the champions now and ask you where you're looking to improve your ball club headed into the next season. Well, we're trying to get a little bit more experience from now on. I've got some tryout camps that I have to go to. And uh, Nick Belmonte, my player man, is just uh, we're waiting for minor leagues to start and get some releases from there and hopefully get some, you know, experienced players. I think from uh, the outfield standpoint, you know, we have Sebastian Boucher coming back, of course, playing center field, and it's great to have him back. And uh, he adds a lot to the ball club. Okay. We build our ball club around him. And again, we want to try to find some uh, experienced people. We got Cartwright coming back, but. We, uh, we lost a lot of people from retirement, 
So, you know, we're, we're going to have to find replacements for them. We've signed, you know, Wilma Font, who did a good job for us last year, Leighton Galbraith, who started and relieved uh, being a rookie. And I think, I think <clears throat> he'll do a lot better this year because he's got some experience. He's coming in fresh this spring, and I think he'll be throwing a little bit harder because uh, last year he joined us about halfway through the season, had a lot of innings in college. We signed a, uh, a right-hand pitcher from the um, Cardinals organization with the idea of, you know, hopefully he's going to make our starting rotation. I, I, I really liked him. He was at next camp. He threw 92-93 in February, so there's probably a little bit more in that arm. And he's going to be one of our starters. He's got some experience under his belt, and uh, I'm really looking for Daniel Cordero to uh, to do something very good for us this year. Again, we have to find some experienced starters. Sebastian being there, Cartwright, we don't know what Daniel Bick's going to do because he's going to a tryout camp uh, with Arizona on the 27th of this month. Yeah. We may lose him, but we did sign a very, very uh, solid either shortstop or a backup shortstop in Robert Garza. Had some good numbers in, in Texas in the school he went to. He hit like 350. So we're coming around, around all right. We just have to you know, pick some experienced players up and uh, go from there. And, and that's really a, a winning endorsement of Robert Garza if he's got the defensive ability of Daniel Bick. But uh, Hal, I just wanted to ask you um, very quickly, because this is your second off season, you could say, with the Ottawa champions. How much easier is it having that base of players that you didn't have last year when the champions were an expansion team? Well, I thought... <laughs> I thought this year was going to be a little bit easier, but it isn't because we've had a lot of people retire. You know, when you lose uh, your number one starter, your number three starter, your number five starter, so you've lost three starting pitchers, and to replace them, you're just going to have to wait till spring training starts, see what is available. And again, I, I have a couple more tryout camps to go to, probably more than two. In the 24th of this month, I'm going down to Fort Myers for a tryout camp, and then Boston is having a tryout camp the day after our camp is over. So I'll get to see maybe some experience arms there. When, when organizations have uh, tryout camps, usually they get some of the older guys that come and everything looking to get into organized ball. But again, you know, we lost a lot of players, but we still have a lot of good players coming back, and we just have to add to that. Ross, hopefully we'll do that in the coming months. And just for some listeners that might not know how, um, tryout camps, you've talked a lot about those, uh, of course, those being the major league tryout camps, trying to make minor league squads. Um, just touch on the importance of those tryout camps uh, for the signing of players, because I think a lot of fans out there might not necessarily look at this champion's roster right now and say, well, this doesn't look complete, but really, it's not going to be complete until the tryout camps are over. Well, they're right. It isn't complete. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of teams in, in the Can-Am League and in the American Association League, they have a, a lot of players signed because they have a lot of players coming back, and we didn't have that this year. You just never know what's going to show up at tryout camp. I've been in independent baseball for a long time now, and, you know, you just never shut the door. There are a lot of people in organized ball that get released. That door is shut for them. But other doors open up, and that's why independent baseball is so, you know, I think precious to everybody, myself and, and ball players, because it gives them the second chance to maybe 
sign with an organization throughout the season or at the end of the season. And again, you have some people, uh, I think, uh, out there that have gotten released over the winter times that, you know, yeah. maybe um, we haven't seen with our own eyes and we know of them. So I'm fortunate enough to live in Florida to be able to drive around and uh, see them with my own eyes. Yeah, and how a lot of people, before we go, a lot of people in this town know uh, a big name pitcher named Eric Bedard. He's from the Ottawa area. And is there any chance that we might see him in a champion's uniform either this year or coming in the next couple seasons? Well, you never know. I mean, I haven't had any discussions. I think maybe the front office has. But again, he would be uh, someone we would be looking for because he's a quality uh, pitcher. He has great stuff. And uh, again, he's from Canada, and you know I'd like to have, have more Canadians on my ball club. But sometimes, uh, well, you know, people retire. Again, you know, adding someone like that to our to our roster would really, you know, make us stronger now, especially from the starting pitcher role. I think it would bring a lot of fans to the ball club. But once, uh, Hal, I really appreciate you joining uh, Mike and I. Uh, on the phone and around the diamond, and I hope to hear from you soon. Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure talking to you guys, and uh, enjoy that weather up there, and I'll, I'll be up there in well, uh, <laughs> early May. Have I, that snow disappear early May for me, please. Oh, I think it will. Uh, Groundhog uh, saw his shadow, so it looks like there's not going to be a lot of snow. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot, Al. Joining me on the phone is Tom Dakers, a writer and manager for Bluebird Banter, uh, a blog which is an affiliation of SB Nation. Now, Tom, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. And uh, you covered the Blue Jays. I really want to touch on, to start off, the rotation for the Jays. Uh, you did a nice piece on your website about who will be the Jays' fifth starter. Who do you think the Jays will make as their fifth starter? I think they're hoping it'll be uh, Drew Hutchison again. I think they're hoping that he'll finally show the promise that he has. He... Had a rough year last year, you know, with a little kind of few minor tweaks, he could be a very good pitcher. Uh, that's what they'd like to have happen. If he has a poor spring training, they have Aaron Sanchez, who apparently spent the winter bulking up so he could handle yeah. starting more. He said he put on 25 pounds over the winter, and for him putting on 25 pounds over winter is different than me putting on 25 pounds over the winter, but for him it's muscle. So, so uh, yeah, he's he's a possibility too. They also traded Jesse Chavez, and he's, he's not a bad pitcher. I mean, he'd be fine as a fifth starter, but the team would prefer... Hutchison or Sanchez to grab the job for sure. Just I think that what the thing with Hutchison is his composure, and that's what he really needs to work on if he wants to be a good pitcher in his league. And another thing that we've seen is that his fastball velocity has gone down a ton. Uh, I think it's gone you know, down from 96, 95 to 93. Yeah, he really needs to work on command. He needs to hit the strike zone and hit the right part of the strike zone. It yeah. seems like he's... Seems like he's either the middle of the plate or out of strike zones. We'll see how this spring goes. He was really good at the end of the 2014 season. Everybody yes. figured he was due for a big breakout year, and it didn't happen. So hopefully it'll be this year. Yeah, and another pitcher to note here is obviously Aaron, Ch Aaron Sanchez. You mentioned that he's bulked up a little bit more. Uh, the one problem that Sanchez had last year uh, his second time through the order. A lot of teams say that uh, he was tipping off pitches a little bit. Do you think he's come past that? Uh, 
Well, yeah, no, I, I, I think he's fine the second time through the order. He's, every start he made was a little better. Each time he started, it was a little better. And then he was injured, and the team didn't want to wait for him to build up the innings again in the minors because he, he was good in the bullpen. They brought him up quicker to pitch in the bullpen, and he's, he's done a good job as a reliever. So either way, he'll be on the team. I'd like to see him start because he's got more potential than any of the other guys that might be the fifth starter. Absolutely, and uh, you did a poll on your website. Who should be the Jays' fifth starter? A couple guys that received a little bit of votes, Roberto Osuna and a guy like Brad Penny. Do you think uh, any of those guys could maybe crack the rotation? Uh, Osuna could be a very good starter. Um, his pro- the problem is he was a very excellent reliever this year, and it's pretty easy to... You know, keep him in that role. Yeah. Maybe pitching more than an inning at a time this year. I know the Jays would like to build up his number of innings to take him from pitching 60-some-odd innings last year to 50 innings as a starter this year. That's that's too huge a jump. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't think they'll make him a starter, although he's, you know, he has more than one good pitch. He has like four good pitches. Oh yeah, he's an excellent something pitcher. something you'd like to see out of a starter. Yes, indeed. You know, as I like to call an electric fastball, his changeup is coming around, and once you mix up the fastball and change them together and a little bit of that that uh, that slider in there, uh, you're good to go, but obviously everybody remembers John Smoltz. He started off as a closer, and then he became a starter. Do you think Osuna could do the same thing? Do the Jays see him as more of a reliever down his career? I know he's only 21, or do they see him as a starter? They'd like him to be a starter. I mean, yeah. you'd like everybody to be a starter. A lot more value in having a starter. They pitch more innings. problem with Osuna is he had surgery a couple of years ago. So 2014, he only had a few innings of pitching. Last year, he was a reliever, so it wasn't that many more innings. It, you don't want to go from yes. 5 to 160 innings. That's not good for an arm. But in the long run, yes, he'd be better as a starter. Even a guy like Gavin Floyd, uh, Roberto Hernandez, veterans that they make the team as a long reliever, or maybe do they have a chance at that fifth spot? Uh, Gavin Floyd could very possibly make the team as a long reliever, some form. Probably not the fifth starter, but probably in the in the bullpen. Let's change gears a little bit. Uh, left field, a big question going into spring training and into the season for the Blue Jays. Looks like we might see Michael Saunders slotted in or Dalton Pompey, two fellow Canadians. Uh, who do you see cracking the roster in that left field spot? Well, if, if Saunders can show that he's healthy, it's probably his job. Okay. He played in Seattle. He didn't hit great there, but the Seattle ballpark is a pitcher's park. It's huge. Absolutely, um, yeah. Rogers Center is a batter's park. Saunders would probably look a better hitter in Toronto. He's got to prove he's healthy. He had bad luck last year, of course, wrecking his knee in spring training, tripping on a sprinkler head, which is something that should really never happen. In my opinion, I think, you know, I like Saunders as a player. I've always liked him. He's, uh, you know, not as fast as he used to be, but still a solid outfielder. Defensively, has a good arm. Like what happened last year, the, the Blue Jays tried Pompey at the beginning of the season. Didn't work out. They sent him down. Do you think it's a better move for his career, or do you think he should start off in AAA Buffalo, whether it's on the bench or in the starting lineup? 
Well, you should get at bath unless he's sure to get a reasonable number of at bats in the majors. He'll start in Buffalo. The good part for him is players in the outfield do need rest. Uh, I'd like to see Jose Batista DH a little more than he did last year. Okay. Um, yep. So, so there will be time for a, a fourth outfielder for the Jays. Will get a fair bit of work. Um, he could platoon with Saunders. Saunders is a left-handed bat. Pompey is a switch hitter. They could they could work out a platoon so he plays against lefties. So he he could get a reasonable number of at bats next year, being the fourth fourth outfielder. But the team might decide that he's better off getting full time at bats. Yeah, and, and you know that's that's a key point. But obviously, sticking with the outfield side of things, the Jays acquired Ben Revere at the trade deadline last season. Then flipped him for a guy in Drew Storen, who I've always been a really big fan of. What kind of role do you think he will play with the Blue Jays, and what do you expect from him playing in the AL East? Oh, he'll be. I think he'll be closer. I don't think there's too much doubt in that. Or you may share the closer role a bit. I think he'll be the ninth inning guy most of the time. Yeah, they'll try to have a sooner pitch more than an inning at a time. And Brett Cecil's a great pitcher. Yes. Um, Likely, if uh, San, likely Sanchez will be a setup man too. I think we're. I think the bullpen will be okay. Absolutely, and you wrote a very nice article uh, on your blog. Uh, the Blue Jays prospects, only one of them making the top 100 prospects, and, and that's Anthony Alford. What did you like from his play last season? Well, since he was drafted, it was the first year that he played a full year. Yep. He's been kind of a part-timer because he wanted to play football. Football didn't work out for him. He finally decided to be a baseball player full-time, and he was terrific. He has great speed. He has reasonable power, but he also showed a very good eye at the plate. He showed an eye at the plate that I can hardly believe because he hasn't played enough baseball to be as good as he was. Yeah, he was amazing. He, his defense was great. Uh, he's, you know, at least two years away from the majors, and he's going to have to prove that last year wasn't some sort of fluke, that his, his eye is that good, and he's going to have to prove it against better pitching as he moves up the ladder. But, but he, he amazed everybody last year. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. And uh, I really appreciate you joining us here on Around the Diamond. And I really look forward to uh, having you on the show once again sometime soon. Sure, anytime. You can find Tom Dacre's blog at bloobberbanter.com, affiliation of SB Nation. And uh, once again, I really appreciate you joining us here on Around the Diamond. listening to Around the Diamond, home of Ottawa Champions Baseball. Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. I am Diamond Dante alongside Mr. Mike Nellis. How are you, how are you holding up, brother? Pretty good. Uh, i am got to admit we had some pretty good interviews just now. Yeah, and, that was an uh, awesome interview with Tom Dakers. He had some good stuff to talk about with the Blue Jays, uh, you know, some important stuff and... Uh, we're going to change gears to the Ottawa Champions. Ready for some baseball talk. Local ball. And Mike, you had a chance to cover the Champions uh, all of last season. Uh, up and down season. What do you expect for them 
going forward? Well, you know what? It's an expansion year, so you have to expect to see ups and downs from an expansion team. I think overall it turned out very well. Yeah. Um, I think they they battled right to the end, and it's not every expansion team that you can expect to see, you know, uh, compete right until the final series of the season uh, for a playoff spot, and that's what the champions did. It came down to the second last game of the year. Uh, before they were finally eliminated from playoff contention. So um, I think you can expect to see them make the playoffs this year. Who will slide out? I don't know. We're going to find out. I think it's um, it's always hard in the Can-Am League because um, a lot of the teams can keep their main cores together and kind of you know remain around the same um, area in the standings, which is what we've seen recently. Yeah, and this is going to be my first season uh, covering the champions with you. Uh, uh, with the team, it's going to be loads of fun. So I'm kind of a rookie. The champion side, two key players in Daniel Correro and Roberto Garza. You wrote a nice article on the champion's website about those two players. Yeah, a couple other guys too. I just basically went through every signing that the champions have made so far. And I did mention both of these guys. Um, Cordero, uh, you just heard about that, is uh, uh, an Atlanta Braves prospect, or at least a former Atlanta Braves prospect that's going to end up in the uh, Ottawa uh, rotation this year, most likely. Uh, we'll see eventually if uh, if he does. Um, you got to tell me, he's going to bring fans to the ballpark with that fastball, eh? Well, you would expect so, and uh, he's uh, he's a guy that uh, that's young. He's he's got a lot of velocity on that fastball, and we'll see if if he can perform. I guess the level that Hal Lanier is placed in front of him. Uh, we've already just heard from Hal, and he said that he expects him to be a starter this year. So we'll see if he can slide into that rotation, maybe help out the new ace, or at least who we expect to be the new ace, Wilmer Font. Yeah, Wilmer barring, Font, uh, barring another signing. Yeah, and uh, Roberto Garza Mm -hmm. looks like a good signing. Uh, Hal Lanier mentioned earlier that he was a great defender and how going up he had one of the better fielding percentages in the MLB in the 1960s. Do you think he can help Garza? I think so. You know, last year we saw Daniel Bick come into the shortstop slot and again Hal talked about um, him going off to an MLB tryout. Um, I would not expect to see Daniel Beck back this year. He's off okay. to the Diamondbacks camp, and they like him is what I'm hearing. So I would expect to see him in the Diamondback system next year with Arizona. Garza will most likely be the uh, shortstop for the team, middle infielder. And uh, Hal Lanier mentioned uh, in the interview just now that he expects him to have the same kind of uh, defensive ability as Daniel Bick. And Bick was arguably the best defensive shortstop in the Can-Am League last year. So uh, that's a winning endorsement, as mentioned before. He hit three fifty eight in his senior year at Texas Southern. Wow. Uh, so we'll see if he's able to, uh, to duplicate that in the Can-Am League. Pitching in the Can-Am League has traditionally been rated at about the double-A level, so I would expect to see him have a little bit of a hard time with that at first. But Daniel Beck adjusted coming out of college ball, so I would expect yeah. to see Garza do the same. And a lot of a lot of listeners out there don't really know uh, what the Can-Am League is. They either think it's below A-ball or above double-A. Where, where does it sit on the MLB depth chart? It's uh, it's between high A and double A. Okay. I think that's uh, that, that's a, a, a good way to put it. Pitching is at the double A level. We've already uh, kind of established that they're former major league pitchers. I think, you know, the, the pitching is there. It's it's a good caliber. And, and Font actually came out of triple A round rock and came to Ottawa yeah. after playing a year in triple A. So he um, is basically 
like a, a triple-A level of pitcher, and he's Ottawa's ace. And that pretty much wraps it up here on Around the Diamond. Thank you very much, Mike. And you can hear us next Saturday. It's going to be a weekly show here on CKDJ 107.9, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks a lot, Dante. And I'm looking forward to working with you and working with the Ottawa champions this summer. It's going to be a great show and a great year of baseball. All right, and you're listening to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. Tune in to Around the Diamond next Saturday for an intense look on your Ottawa champions and everything baseball.